0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. This morning we are uh, picking up again in our, in our study through this, um, this great New Testament book. We're going to be in, in this study uh, for, for this semester and all of next semester, so basically for this entire school year, studying through Hebrews. And to do that we're having to move through it pretty quickly like basically uh just a couple of weeks on each chapter we could dwell a lot longer than that i can assure you uh but but as we're moving through it this quickly we've already looked at the first couple of chapters and um and so today we come to chapter three we've been away from it for about three weeks uh so thank you for being patient with me in uh, my absence the last couple of weeks um one of the things we need to, having been away from it for that long, um, just want to make sure we're picking up where we left off, uh, it's, it's good to be re- reminded that the unrelenting theme of this book is the superiority of Jesus Christ over all things. The superiority of Jesus Christ certainly over all that the believers, the professing believers in this book were being tempted to leave Christianity for. Um, and just remember some of the background that we've given. I mean, You might be able to recite this back to me, and if so, that's great. But for those of you who may have not been here um, or may have forgotten, it's, it's good to remember some of the background of this book because it helps you understand some of the things here, especially the warnings that are given. A lot of frequent warnings in the book of Hebrews. Um, we don't really know exactly who wrote Hebrews. We don't exactly know... Um, where where the people live that he was writing to i mean you educated guess would be jerusalem since there's so much talk of judaism and the temple and the sacrifices and and all of that but clearly even if you don't know exactly those things just read the letter and it's clear that it was written to to people who had come to faith in christ out of judaism and were now being tempted to go back to their old life in judaism they were tempted to go back because after coming to faith in Christ, life got harder. It was hard enough to be a Jew in the Roman Empire um, because of prejudice and persecution. It's always been like that for the Jewish people. Just, just recently, the last week or two, you know, what happened in Pittsburgh. I mean, just, it was hard for them in the Roman Empire, and now though at least in that day and time even as hard as it was to be a jew in the roman empire it was even harder to be a christian um because the the roman empire certainly had as much prejudice against christians as they did jews but now as a christian so did the jews have prejudice against you so did the jews persecute you and you get you get a small you get small pictures here and there throughout the letter of the kinds of things that they endured um some of them were being thrown into prison because they were followers of Christ. Some of them were being forsaken by their families. Some of them were facing economic hardship, which don't discount that. That means their livelihoods were being affected. They, no one would buy their goods because they are Christians. Or they couldn't go buy goods from other people because they were Christians. How are you going to live and eat? That's, that's, that's real stuff. It made life hard for Period. So the author of this letter, he wrote this letter to those believers that were tempted to leave Christianity, go back to their their old life in Judaism, where at least there would be half the hardship. You know? Um, but he wrote this letter warning them about the consequences of leaving. The consequences of walking away from Christ and to show them all the glorious reasons to stay and to persevere, because simply put. Christ is better he's better than anything they might leave him for and, and they and they don't think that way that's why he's writing this letter to say even even Judaism he's better he's better than what you left and whatever hardship you endure for following Christ will be well worth it in the end those are the promises all the way through the New Testament but this whole letter is meant to convey that Christ is better so like I said it's been a few weeks since we've been Uh, In our study, we've already looked at chapters 1 and 2, and today we come to chapter 3. So let's read our passage for today. It's chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's a beautiful passage. Beginning in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession That were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. All right, let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. It's inspired of your Holy Spirit, and therefore it is without error in what it it teaches And it comes with authority to us because it's your word, not the mere word of men. And because it's what you have chosen to reveal to us, uh, and we couldn't know you any other way if you did not reveal yourself to us. This is a necessary word to us because without this, we don't know you. And it's sufficient for all we need to know for faith and salvation and life following Christ. And it's clear to us. Some passages are clearer than others, but even the hard passages we can understand what they mean through the passages that are clear. But thank you, thank you for this word. And so I pray that you would give us minds to understand the truth that is here. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see it first and foremost. And hearts to embrace it and love the truth. Not to dismiss it. Not to scoff at it. Not to let it go in one ear and out the other. But to, but to embrace it wholeheartedly with our whole hearts. And then give us wills to obey whatever it commends us to do. And Give me the help that I need and give us all ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, that sneeze counted, by the way. <laughs> um, all right, like I said a bit earlier, the whole book of Hebrews is making the point to former Jews who are tempted to go back to Judaism that Jesus, that the new covenant of salvation in him is better in every way than the old covenant that came through Moses. And the first two chapters, if you're thinking back to what we saw then and said then, the first two chapters of the letter were making the point specifically, I guess the sub-point to that, that Jesus is superior to angels. That's how, that's how it, 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 it begins uh, back in chapter 1 and it, it extends all the way through chapter 2. Why comparing why did it compare Jesus to angels in the first two chapters? Because the scriptures teach that the the that the law was delivered to Moses through angels. Sure sure, the the law came from God to Moses, but it came from God to Moses through angels. It, t- it says that again and again. It was not on the screen, but just Galatians 3:19 is one of the one of those passages that says exactly that. Um and, uh, and, and for that reason, angels in Judaism were held in, in high esteem and, and high honor. Um, but Jesus is better. He's better than those angels. He's worthy of more honor than the, than, than, than the angels that they revere. The angels were worthy of honor because they came from the very presence of God with the word of God to Moses. But Jesus is worthy of highest honor because he's God himself who came. That's, that's the first words of Hebrews. He's God himself who has come and and is himself. He's not bringing a word. He is the word, Uh, the the, the full and complete word of God for our salvation. So angels are held in high honor, but Jesus is worshipped. No angel is worshipped, and hence chapter 2 included at the beginning of it a, a warning against neglecting Christ and neglecting the salvation that he accomplished for us. But you might have noticed in these first six verses of, ch- of chapter 3 that we just read, you might have noticed that as we come to these verses, the talk about angels is over. Not a mention of angels there. We've been talking about angels since we started Hebrews. But now all of a sudden, we've moved on to something else. Now the comparison is not between Jesus and angels, but Jesus and Moses. Moses is all over this passage. The focus is now shifting to the most pivotal and important person in judaism which would be without question moses sure the law was delivered to moses by god through angels but it was moses to whom that law was delivered and it was moses who delivered that law to the people and it was moses not anybody else who was up on that mount mountain with god for 40 days and it, and 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 he was there because it was Moses and not anybody else whom God summoned to be there and received that word from him prior to that it was Moses whom God had raised up to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt they had been slaves for 430 years now sometimes when you read the bible especially when you read the old testament and it talks and and it just these outrageous outrageously high numbers of how long people lived and things like that. Sometimes the the years can just wash over us and we don't really think about what it's saying. The people of Israel have been slaves for 430 years. That's longer than we've been a country. I mean, Jamestown wasn't even settled 430 years ago. That would be as if we as a people have been enslaved to another power since 1588. And it was Moses who, uh, for, I mean, you, you would think if you've been slaves since 1588, you will always be slaves. But Moses was the one who God used to lead a whole nation of people out of slavery, out from under the mightiest nation on earth at the time. There was no earthly reasoning that could explain their sudden freedom. I mean, there... But but God worked wonders through whom? Through Moses to do this. And and, and through Moses and through the staff that he he held in his hand, he he sent plagues that that influenced the Pharaoh himself. Moses was the very mouthpiece of God. It's not on the screen. listen Listen to what numbers you should read numbers numbers chapter 12 this is what numbers 12 7 says about Moses God said of Moses he is faithful in all my house that's a foundational passage by the way of this Hebrews 3 text he is faithful in all my house God says with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly not in riddles and he beholds the form of the Lord. Woo! And it's through him that the first five books of the Bible were given to us. Without the first five books of the Bible, you don't understand the Bible. And so it's, it's kind of understandable that Moses was revered. And that the revelation that God gave to him, to us through him, was not anything that these these Jewish believers coming into Christianity, this was not something that they were easily or casually walking away from. And and once persecution came, you can understand how easily tempting it would be to go back to that, because after all, God really did speak through him. God really did speak His words to him, mouth to mouth, and clearly, and not in riddles, And on top of that, the Christians, they had come into the Christian faith, and the Christians that they knew, certainly the one writing this letter, the Christians they knew, they're they're not uh, not ever saying that God didn't speak through Moses. In fact, they are emphasizing that God spoke through Moses. And at least these, these believers that were being tempted were, at least they thought, they would be going back to something. They wouldn't be leaving God. They would be going back to something they knew really was the Word of God. And it's where, in addition to the fact, that it's it's where most of their families and loved ones still were and everything familiar. So the comparison now, beginning in chapter 3, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, now moves away from Jesus and angels to Jesus and Moses. And the argument of the letter will now begin showing how Jesus is a better and a greater Moses. Moses was great, and this passage makes that clear. But his life and all that he said and all that he did was pointing to something in someone who was greater. And obviously that person is Jesus. Uh, remember that I said that the book of Hebrews, and if you read it, you get it. You don't need me to tell you, but you, you know that the book of Hebrews goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between uh, warnings, warning them about the consequences of leaving Jesus. The other side of the seesaw is showing all the glorious reasons to stay. So warning against leaving, here's why you should stay. Um, And this passage for today is an example of that second kind. Uh, It's not primarily a warning, though the verses begin, right after this beginning in verse 7 all the way through the next chapter is a warning a long extended warning but verses 1 through 6 is primarily a passage showing the glorious reasons to stay and i love how it leads us to do that it does it in two beautiful words two beautiful words in verse one and they are these consider jesus that's a command There's one command here, and it's those two words. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. They had lived their whole lives considering Moses. And if they would persevere to the end, and be faithful to the end, they need to consider Jesus too. It's a command that we need to hear and to do. Consider. Just think about those words. Consider Jesus think about him think about jesus think about who he is think about all he's done think about what he is doing for you and in you think about all that he's got planned for you just consider jesus consider him means to think on him read the scriptures read the scriptures And say, what does this teach me about Christ? If if you're reading the Old Testament, how is this pointing me forward to Jesus? How is this fulfilled in Jesus? Just go throughout your day considering Jesus. Uh, Be aware of Him in your day. When when something good happens to you, recognize it and, and, and immediately give Him thanks for it. Knowing that He brought it into your life. Or when something difficult happens to you, immediately go to Him in prayer about it. Knowing that He's working good in your life and trust Him for it and asking Him to give you eyes to see it. And just consider Him. Consider Him. Like I said, consider His words. Consider what He's done for you in your salvation. It'll help you keep everything else in your life in proper perspective. And some things just won't seem as important as they once did but this passage leads us to consider three things about Jesus first consider his faithfulness we'll see that in primarily in the first two verses consider his faithfulness and then in verses 3 and 4 primarily consider his worthiness Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses and then finally, in the last two verses, consider his kindness. These are each beautiful things to consider about Jesus. And the passage teaches each one in a beautiful way. By comparing Jesus to Moses in each of these ways. And showing that Jesus is better and greater and worthy of our love and trust and faithful obedience. So let's, let's first consider his faithfulness. I think we see this clearly in verses 1 and 2. So we'll look, that, look, look there again. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him and uh, who appointed him, faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. That's right there. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. He got that from that Numbers twelve seven passage that we just read. So the faithfulness of Jesus and the faithfulness of Moses is obviously what's being compared here. And, and I think to consider, it says consider Jesus and, and the, his faithfulness is the first thing it puts up here. I think to consider the faithfulness of Jesus here as best we can, we need to focus on two things from these verses. One is, um, how was Moses faithful? Because it says Jesus is faithful just as Moses was faithful in all that he was given to do. So let's think about how Moses was faithful but then two, to see how Jesus' faithfulness, how it exceeded Moses' faithfulness, I think it hinges a lot of it hinges on one word in these two verses, and it's that word apostle. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What does it mean? In what way is Jesus an apostle? <laughs> uh, that's interesting. We're going to focus on those two things. So looking at the end of the passage first, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. So let's consider Moses' faithfulness. And um, like I said earlier, what's unique about uh, this is that the writer of Hebrews is not telling these Jewish Christians that they need to forget about Moses. You need to forget about Moses and just focus on Jesus. He's not telling them that at all. He's saying, no, look again at Moses. Look at Moses. Consider Moses. And if you do, you'll be able to see and understand Jesus more clearly. The better you understand Moses, the better you'll understand Jesus. That's what he's saying to do. So Moses is exalted here. And we can see just how exalted Jesus is by comparison. And the faithfulness of Moses is put forward here. So where and how do we see the faithfulness of Moses in the Scriptures? Well, where do you start? Um, I thought and thought, how do I... How are we, in just a few minutes, going to lay out the faithfulness of Moses? what it leads us to do. Um, Well, I think, though, the faithfulness of Moses just happens to be highlighted for us later in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. So let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. This is a great uh, faith chapter. What we have in Hebrews 11 is this whole litany of Old Testament saints who are referred to in chapter 12 as the great cloud of witnesses. And, and in chapter 11, you have them itemized and the great and tremendous lives of faith that they lived. And, and it talks about Moses, uh, beginning around verse 23. And about Moses, it says, for example, in verses 24 and 25, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin so he was faithful in this sense he was faithful to the God's calling on his life to to lead the people of Israel and that's not anything to it, it's not anything to to, to to dismiss or discount i mean that would result for him this verse says in a lot of hardship and a lot of mistreatment is the word it says when he could have lived A whole life of absolute luxury in Pharaoh's house. Why did he do that? Why did he choose the the life of mistreatment over the life of luxury? Verse 26 says, He considered the reproach, reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. It's phrases like that. He was looking forward to the reward. That, that's why they're saying if you'll if you understand moses you'll understand jesus he understood that his life was serving something greater and, and 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 even he knew uh his life and his calling pointed forward to christ more on that in a minute but if you keep reading in hebrews 11 come to verse 27 by faith he left egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible I, what does that phrase mean For he endured as seeing him who, I like uh, different translation, I think word that a little different, the CSB the Christian Standard Version says for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. He persevered because he saw God clearly. Moses trusted God and he accepted the role that God had given to him. It says in verse 28 that his faithfulness included keeping the Passover. He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood why, why does that show the faithfulness of moses moses didn't see himself as the savior moses himself saw his own need for a savior so he kept the passover just as he, inst- he 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 led everyone else to do it he trusted that god was going to bring redemption and he wasn't the redeemer verse 29 says that he trusted god in the exodus to protect them and to keep his promises which he did for example, as they, that's the example it gives as they cross the Red Sea. God provided and Moses faithfully trusted. At rock bottom, Moses was faithful in all that, that God gave him to do. I, pre- I preached last Sunday night in the evening service from Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. And the very last sentence of Leviticus 16 uh, says this, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And I think that right there is basically, essentially a summary of the faithfulness of Moses. How many times in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it, do you read statements like that? A whole list of commandments, and Moses did everything that God commanded. And Moses did everything that God commanded. Moses did all that God had commanded him. That's basically a summary of Moses. So going back to Hebrews 3, 1 and 2, the point is that Jesus was also faithful in his appointed task, just like Moses was faithful in his. But there's a fundamental difference. between As faithful as Moses was, there's a fundamental difference between Moses' faithfulness and Jesus' faithfulness. And this, uh, that begins to be pointed out here in Hebrews 3, uh, in this word apostle, in verse 1 it's not the only way you see it but it's an it's an it's an interesting way of seeing it 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 begins in verse one it says consider jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession now we've already addressed jesus as our high priest back in chapter two and we'll have a lot of opportunity in the chapters coming up to consider jesus as our high priest but what does he mean when he refers to jesus as the apostle of our confession i mean I think of Paul and Peter and John and those guys as apostles. I don't really think of Jesus as an apostle, but what am I to do with this? Scripture says he was. (laughs) In what sense is Jesus an apostle? Well, the, the word apostle literally means one who is sent, a sent one. And when you consider how many times, for example, in John's gospel, Jesus says he was sent by God the Father, uh, and he was sent faithfully to do as well this begins to make a little more sense so in john 6 38 jesus says for i have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me where he says sent it's it's a, a form of that word apostle in the greek so that's the difference there, that's how jesus is a greater moses you say how Because Moses was just one among equals. One among equals that God raised up to lead His people through uh, an earthly salvation that pictured a a spiritual one. Jesus, on the other hand, came, was sent from heaven itself to actually accomplish what that Old Testament picture pictured. He he, he accomplished that, that spiritual salvation that Moses merely pointed forward to. And that salvation was accomplished by Jesus, only through Jesus, because of his faithfulness at every moment. Just like, um, just like Moses was faithful in his task, so was Jesus faithful in his task. The only difference is, Jesus had a more important task. He had a greater task that he was faithful to. Because uh, if, if, if Jesus was not faithful in every moment to his task, uh, and and, and, and uh, we would have no Savior. There would be no Savior. Jesus was faithful in all His tasks to, to live a sinless, perfect life of active obedience to God the Father, to earn our righteousness that we have to stand before God and, and to qualify Himself to die our death for our sins and none for His because He had none. Apart from the faithfulness of Christ in his task, we have no Savior. Moses only pointed us forward to that reality. Jesus was the reality. We also need to consider his worthiness. So we've considered his faithfulness in verses 1 and 2. And there's so much more to say. There's so much more to say, guys. I'm just hitting the high spots. We'll see this mainly in verses 3 and 4. So if you look at verses 3 and 4 again, you see outright that it says Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And the reason it gives that Jesus is worthy of more glory is it, it, it explains that in verse 3 by way of an analogy. An analogy between the builder of a house versus the house itself. So you see, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. It's an analogy. And the author of Hebrews is saying, uh, the obvious, that when someone builds a grand, glorious house, we, we do stand and admire the house, but we don't honor the house, we honor the builder and designer of that house. And he's saying that Moses was not the builder of the house. Um, but he was essentially, in an, in an analogy that I've used before, Moses helped to construct the scaffolding while the house was being built. He, he constructed the scaffolding. That uh, when, when, the, when the work was done. The scaffolding comes down. He served a purpose. But it was a temporary one. To highlight the permanent reality. That Jesus came to do. Jesus is the builder. Moses set up the scaffolding. Jesus built the house. That's the point. And verse 4 basically says. That Jesus is uh, God. Who was doing these things. Uh, when you can and it it makes sense when you consider what kind of house was he building what does it take to build that house but moses and the covenant he delivered was only the earthly picture temporary picture of what was being built and jesus is the builder of the house the same idea is actually that actually continues in the next two verses uh, verses five and six when it refers to moses as merely a servant in the house But Jesus, by contrast, is the son who is over the house. You notice that? Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. That's the comparison being made. So he is worthy of all the glory. But I want to say something really quickly too about how we should consider his kindness verses 5 and 6 again so looking still at verses 5 and 6 and the phrase here that seems to highlight his kindness is that phrase in verse 6 and we are his house and we are his house you know and i feel the weight of this this morning It's hard. So it's hard to teach Hebrews. It's hard because it's, it's beautiful and it's good, but it's like the deep end of the pool all the time. You know what I'm saying? You don't ease into Hebrews. It just throws you in the deep end of the pool. And it's always these, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing Hebrews. I'm just telling you it's what it is. It's always talking on this big great grand glorious level like it's always talking about uh really high level stuff and i've done it this morning i had to it's what it says but like it's always like old covenant versus new covenant and it's always angels versus jesus and moses and the exodus versus i mean it's just a high level stuff and, like in this passage, you know, Moses is a, 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 a servant in the house that God is building, and Jesus is the son over the house that God is building. And you see that, and you, work, you praise God for that, but, it can, and then, but sometimes it can feel like, how does that help me on Tuesday? You know what I'm saying? Then you come to verse 6, and it says, you are his house. <laughs> this isn't talking about something else. This is talking about you. You are his house that he is building. So when it's talking about Christ, I mean that Moses was a servant in the house, Jesus is actually built the builder of the house. You're the house. We're the house that he's building. And that helps me on Tuesday. Like, everyone who believes, and even Moses himself, he was serving in the house, but he's in the house. You're in the same house that Moses is in. We're all the same house. The house is the church. And to know that that we are the house that he is building. That, that brings in all these other practically glorious promises from everywhere else in the New Testament. That, um, of his, he, he, will, he will be faithful to you. I, I, am, I am making all things new, he says in Revelation chapter 1. And the gates of hell will not prevail over what I'm building. That helps you on Tuesday when you feel beaten down and you feel discouraged and you feel like a failure and you feel like, um, I'm so disobedient. Am I really a Christian? Uh, You feel like you remember that Jesus is still building you. He's still building you. Like the work, the work is done, actually, technically, the work is done in, in eternity. But in time, He's still building you. You're His house. And, he, and His kindness is seen in all that He's accomplishing in these things. Like as He's doing all these grand and glorious things, He never lost sight of each one that He would draw to faith in Him. That's beautiful. So I say with just a few minutes left, consider Jesus. Consider Him. Consider His faithfulness. Consider His worthiness. Consider His kindness to you. Consider Jesus. Be Jesus-minded. And be encouraged. Let's pray.